Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. Looking forward for the rest of the week to come. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about that is going on around the world of Hollywood. A lot of stuff to get into. I'm going to be talking about the Rotten Tomato score for A Quiet Place Part 2. Is it on par with the first Quiet Place? And what does it also mean for the Memorial Day weekend if we have two overall positive movies? that are coming out and what that could do for the theatrical theater box office. I'm also going to be getting into the first trailer for Dear Evan Hansen, and Attack the Block sequel is in the works, and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is another film that isn't set to come out here in the United States until next month, but is ready to be released internationally in a few markets, and that is the first reactions for the ninth film in the Fast and Furious franchise, F9, The Fast Saga. And this is one of the films that I think a lot of people are having their eyes on moving forward, especially with a lot of people kind of looking to see how the box office can be revived during this summer movie season that we will fortunately have this year after not having one last year due to the coronavirus pandemic. So Fast Night is one of the big blockbusters that is set to come out this year that I think a lot of people have their eyes really kind of trained on and what kind of money can make not just here in the United States, but also worldwide because Fast the Fast and Furious franchise is really one of those rare rare blockbusters, rare franchises that is a global phenomenon where it doesn't just make its money in one specific market. It has at least like two or three that are the dominant markets, but the reason that it gets over that billion dollar fresh threshold like Furious 7 and Fast, uh, Fast 8 did was because of the global aspect that this film is able to really kind of convey and really kind of imprint on a lot of people because of the diversity really amongst its cast. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking to see in F9, especially because a lot of the world is trying to get out of the pandemic right now, get back to some kind of normalcy with vaccines. And this week, we have the first markets that are going to be getting this film, the big one specifically being the the Chinese market. And that has kind of been the biggest market over like the last year, especially since it was able to really kind of get back on its feet in the last half year or so and really become the dominant force in in the box office market. It was already number two behind the United States before the pandemic hit, but because the United States is, has been reeling with COVID for a while now and theaters really haven't been able to kind of get a consistency going, that the United States has kind of faltered a little bit. But again, hopefully during this summer movie season and for the rest of the year and moving forward beyond, the, the United States can kind of get back to where it was in terms of box office, but it's not going to be something that happens overnight. It's going to be a, a building block step of moving that is going to have to do that. And again, F9 is going to be one of those films. And for a lot of, of critics, they were able to see the film for the first time last night. And for a lot of people, it was their first foray back into the theaters after a lot of restrictions are kind of over with vaccinations are, are up now and, and a lot of cases are down. So again, a lot of people are trying to get back into their da- 
daily routine in the best way possible, even if they have to wear masks and social distance for a little bit right now, but a sense of normalcy is coming back and to kind of see these reactions come out, not just for Fast 9, but also for A Quiet Place, which I said at the top, I'll talk about in a little bit. It's just great to kind of see that those reactions on Twitter and social media once again, and F9 is no exception. And I think for a lot of people, just on the merit of the Fast and Furious franchise alone, there's a lot of people looking forward to this film. For me, and I know for a lot of people before the pandemic last year, it was one of our most and one of my most anticipated films of 2020. I'm a big fan of the Fast and Furious films, especially after Fast Five. It just really kind of kicked into this whole nother gear where it was really, the, the franchise was able to kind of know what people loved about it, which was great humor, great chemistry with this family that was established with Vin and, and Brian and, 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 and Tej and Roman and, and Han and, and all these different cast of characters that we've seen throughout the years. And of course, also Letty, who's played by Michelle Rodriguez, and also the crazy stunts and action sequences that we've gotten over the last few years. And we kind of got the main architect who was kind of, who really resuscitated and kicked in this new era of the Fast and Furious franchise in Justin Lin. He's coming back for these last few films. You have John Cena coming into this one. You don't have Dwayne Johnson, who was one of those vital pieces when Fast Five came out in 2011. He He's not reprising his role as Hobbs in this film. So there's there's a lot of, of curiosity surrounding this film and a lot of excitement around the world. So a lot of people were wondering, what is this film going to live up to the other films that have come before? And you have all these great stunts that we've seen in the trailers. It seems like they're going to go into space. So what is the reaction, the first reaction coming out of this film? And it seems like for the most part, there is a lot of overwhelming positivity surrounding a lot of the early reactions that have come from this movie. And I'm going to read off some of the reactions from the, the press that were able to see this film. And of course, I'm going to start out with my good friend over at Fandango, the managing editor, the great Eric Davis, who was able to see the film last night. And this is what he had to say about F9. I watched F9 today, and it's exactly what you hope it will be. It's the perfect summer blockbuster, massive memorable action sequences with lots of humor, heart, family drama, super magnets, and they finally go to space. Longtime Fast fans will adore all the nods to previous films. This might be the most self-aware of the Fast movies. It knows what it is, and it knows what its fans want it to be, and it embraces all of it, not just in spectacle, but in character conversations too. Justin Lin brings cohesiveness that ties the series together. And then David Elrich had this to say about F9. This is by far the biggest and most ridiculous Fast and Furious yet, miles from the precision of Fast Five or the fun of Tokyo Drift. But with Justin Lin at the helm, it feels like things are finally moving in the right direction. And then the one and only Tiffany Smith had to say this about F9. What a way to come back. Did not let did not let this Fast and Furious fan down at all. It leveled up and out of this world. Could not wipe the grin off my face. Ridiculous action. Badasses saying and doing badass things. And family always family. So those are some of the great overall positive reviews that came out of the of the screenings for 
fast and furious. And a lot of it is social media embargoes, but there is another side to the, the fast and furious saga. And even though there is a lot of overwhelmingly positive support for not just F9, but for a lot of the fast and furious films over the last decade or so, there are some critics and some press that don't really like these movies and don't like what they have to offer. And there were some negative comments that came out and, and negative reviews that came out of the screenings of this film. There were a few from Hollywood Reporter, Variety, IndieWire didn't really like what they saw in this film. They felt like it was over the top and too cheesy and was a little bit too cheesy even for the previous film's taste. And there was somebody else who I really like to listen to and read his reviews and that came from the one and only John Campia who is a fan of these Fast and Furious films over the last few years. And But unfortunately... It seems like this, like he agrees with the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, and that this is a little bit too much, too far. And this is what he had to say coming out of seeing F9. My F9 reaction: the fast movies four through eight work well because they embrace the ridiculousness, but at some point it's way too much. The couple of moments too of laugh and charm are totally overwhelmed by the eye-rolling nonsense. It's the worst Fast and Furious movie to date. So that I think really kind of encompasses what a lot of people are feeling on the negative side of this film and to me I kind of like to look at the good and the bad of a lot of these films whether it is F9 or Quiet Place or any film that comes out like Cruella it it really kind of just again gives you an idea of, of what to expect and have some kind of mindset going into these films for me it, whatever, even if the film had total negative buzz, well, if it did have total negative buzz, I would be a little concerned, but if it gets some mixed reviews, it's not going to deter me away from seeing this movie because I personally love the Fast and Furious franchise, and I know what I'm going to go in and, and experience with these movies, and I think for a lot of Fast and Furious fans, that's the way they feel as well, where they know what to expect, and I think if they get exactly what they were advertised, and they get their money's worth, it'll be the money worth well spent on this movie. So I think that's what a lot of people are going to be looking forward to. And it sounds like they do go to space. And I wonder if that really kind of plays into the cheesiness. And that might be a little bit too much of the extreme. Because the thing with the Fast and Furious franchise has always been since the fifth one. How do you top yourself? What do you do to elevate yourself and doing more ridiculous stuff while at the same time maybe staying a little bit grounded in what came beforehand? And they've been able to do that every single film since at Fast Five. And you wonder what else are they going to be able to do or did they go a little too over the top? So it seems like that is the response that some of the negative reactions are, are really having with this movie. But again, I'm really excited about it. And, and the fact that this is like the Mission Impossible from franchise where you're wondering how they're going to exactly top themselves is is great. And, I'm, and again, I'm really excited to see this film. I think this is the, the one that is really going to be a big indicator globally of where movie going is going to be for the next year or so and where audiences are really kind of uh, of at in their psyche at this point of going back to the theaters and being in a public space with a lot of people once again whether you have masks or don't have masks on depending on what state and what the business and theater chain is kind of regulating at that particular moment in time what is that going to ensue and 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 what is the box office market going to be like in the next few years and we're really going to 
gonna start seeing that happen this weekend with F9 coming out and again markets like Russia and China and according to Deadline they are projecting that F9 could be making between 140 and 160 million dollars overall in the foreign box office this weekend overseas so it's again it's a good light at the end of the tunnel and I think again we have films like A Quiet Place Part 2 Cruella coming out and I'll talk about that in just a little bit but I think those are going to be key indicators. I think in the height is going to be another interesting indicator, kind of like what Godzilla versus Kong and Mortal Kombat did in March and April, kind of showcasing that maybe you can have both a hybrid release of HBO Max and also going to theaters and people seeing something like that on the big screen. But I think the big global indicator is going to be F9 in these next few weeks, but also one we're going to be seeing it in June 25th here and in a few other markets around the world as well. So I, I think there's a lot of interest in this film. Again, hearing all these great positive stuff, but also seeing some of the negative response to it is just a great insight into kind of getting yourself ready for this film and the expectations, which for myself, I still have huge expectations. I'm really excited about this. This to me is my, well, it's probably my second most anticipated summer movie film of of this summer movie season of 2021. My first one is, of course, I want to see a Marvel Studios flick back in theaters. So Black Widow is my number one. But this would be my number two and In the Heights would probably be my number three right now if I had to rank the films I'm very much looking forward to from the months of May to August this year. So, well, what do you guys think about these reactions? Do they deter you away from seeing F9? Do they lower your anticipation level? Or do the a lot of the positives outweigh the negatives and it just enhances or keeps you at your anticipated level that you already were at after seeing the marketing or just getting really excited to see this movie overall? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now, like I was talking about earlier of getting to this topic, I'm going to be talking about A Quiet Place Part 2 and its Rotten Tomato score. And again, we, we did get the score also for F9, but again, that's in its kind of early indication. The review embargo for a lot of people isn't until in the next few weeks. So those numbers could, could increase in the number of reviews that it gets, and it could either fluctuate, it could go up, it could go down. We'll see where it goes. But right now, it's around a 60% rating with only a few critics in and giving their opinion on Rotten Tomatoes, but one of the higher reviewed films that a lot of people are looking forward to right now, which is really going to be alongside Cruella, the official kind of kickoff to this summer movie season in 2021, is the highly anticipated sequel to the, I think, one of the biggest surprises of 2018 when it came out, which is the John Krasinski directed Emily Blunt starring A Quiet Place Part 2. And this is one of the one of the final films that a lot of people got to see before the pandemic really shut everything down in March of last year. And this is one of the first films that a lot of people are going to get back out and see in the theater. So it kind of is like a, a circle of life in the entertainment industry a little bit that A Quiet Place Part Two was one of the last films that people saw before the industry shut down and is one of the first films that people are going to be seeing now that the theatrical exhibition in the industry is opening itself back up with big tent poles for people to see at the theaters. So again, it's just kind of a great 360, 180, whichever kind of measurement you want to take with it, kind of a moment. And it seems like a lot of people have overwhelmingly loved this movie. And for people that got to see it a second time after seeing it a year or a year and a half, really kind of later from 2020 to 2021, loved it even more. And again, for a lot of people, for a lot of critics taking into account F9 and also Quiet Place Part 2, this is really kind of a lot of 
critics and journalists and screeners first film back on the big screen. And again, for a lot of studios, they want to make sure that they are bringing theatrical experiences to the big screen. And it seems like F9 does that. And it seems like A Quiet Place Part 2 does it as well. And right now it has an overall rating of around 90 to 91% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, which is a great, great score for A Quiet Place Part 2. Because I think the thing with sequels and I read a lot of the reviews for A Quiet Place Part 2 and what people thought about it last year and, and, and over the last few days. But one of, the, one of the things that's difficult for a sequel, I think a sequel for a sequel of, of a film that was a surprise gem, nobody saw it coming. It featured a first-time director in John Krasinski, who was well-known before that for his role in The Office. And so I think it was really kind of this perfect storm that happened with this movie. It was a different kind of horror film that hadn't come out beforehand that was really kind of utilizing the, the instrument of sound and sound mixing and sound editing. It won the Academy Award for the way that it was doing its sound design. So it it was really kind of this perfect storm and this great film that people really found and enjoyed. And it made sense when the film was a smash hit financially that there would probably be a sequel. But when it comes to, to gems like that, the thing that is really, really, really kind of showcasing with this thing is... Is, is how do you top it? Or again, how do you elevate yourself to that level? And I was kind of talking about it and it's similar in a way to the Hitman's wife's bodyguard in a way. I think a little bit more so on a prestigious level for this film is how could you top that or get into the expectations of audience members for a sequel? And that's one of the things that I think with especially a horror franchise and you see it on stuff like The Walking Dead or Saw or any kind of franchise really when you it's about with the sequel of expanding the universe and and the first quiet place is such a small indie kind of film where it's just about this family that's trying to survive and now it's about okay what is everyone else doing what's the world like and it seems like in the trailers that we've seen that is exactly what people are, or what the filmmakers and what Krasinski and the screenwriters wanted to focus on is introducing these new characters like Cillian Murphy, who has been getting great reviews and great praise for his role in this film, and someone like a Jaiman Hansu, and how this family interacts with new people and, and new places in this post-apocalyptic world. So to me, that was really interesting uh, seeing in the trailer that they really were going to hone in on that. And it seems like for a lot of people, that's exactly what they got as they say, this franchise, this is a franchise now and that they, they can see the the franchise aspect of this film, of this franchise moving forward and that this film does a great job in really kind of establishing this moving forward as you can do multiple films. It's already been announced, I believe it was last year, that Krasinski and a few others are going to be making a spin-off film of the Quiet Place franchise and focusing on other characters. And I think that is something that you wonder is like, okay, is this just a one hit wonder or can we do multiple films? And this and A Quiet Place Part 2 seems like delivers on the fact of being its own film, but also a launching pad for other things to come down the line. And again, a 91% for a sequel is great. It's not on the level as the first Quiet Place, which got a 96% of Rotten Tomatoes, but still, it's not like it went from 96% to 70%. It's still within that 90 percentile. So again, you it's 
seems like this film is really hitting all the chords right with a lot of people. A lot of people are also praising the the actress that plays the daughter of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt in this film, Melissa Simmons, who plays the, the daughter of Krasinski and Emily Blunt in this film and saying that this could really be her franchise moving forward. You also have Noah Jupe, who again, I think has kind of become a, not, not a, a huge star, but a rising star in the industry. He's premiered in a lot of films over the last few years, like Ford versus Ferrari, Honey Boy, and he's, he was also just in the limited series, The Undoing, with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. So he's been doing some things as well. But I think overall, it seems like Krasinski did a really good job with this film. 91%. I'm really excited to see this film. And it seems like they make a great theatrical experience for a lot of people. And if you want to go back and, and see a horror film, this could be the one to do it. And I think going from that and transitioning to another point about this conversation about the Memorial Day weekend box office. Because again, like I was saying before, this the Memorial Day weekend box office next weekend is officially gonna be the kickoff start for this summer movie season, where the last few weeks, again, usually before pre-pandemic times, the beginning of May, we usually get a big Marvel film, and that kind of kicks off the summer movie season. But because of COVID, studios felt more confident that maybe by the end of May, June, things would be a lot better. And it seems like that's exactly where things are going right now. And the last few weeks, we've gotten some films here and there. We got the new Guy Ritchie film with Jason Statham, Wrath of Man. We got the latest from the Saw franchise and and Spiral last weekend, along with Those Who Wish Me Dead, the new film with Angelina Jolie, but nothing again on the caliber of what we're going to be getting next weekend in a new Disney film and the sequel to a hit 2018 film in A Quiet Place. And I think the interesting thing at this point was, I think people were looking forward to A Quiet Place Part Two and Cruella, and that could have also been the first stepping stone to uh, what could be a recovery during the summer movie season. But I think some people were maybe looking towards In the Heights or again, F9. I think people again are gonna look at that more globally of where the world is in terms of the theatrical exhibition route in the box office, but Memorial Day weekend could really be a, a, a really crucial step to starting things off the right way. And I think the big thing about it is the fact that the, the way that the response has been, not just for A Quiet Place Part Two, but for Cruella, surprisingly, has been overwhelmingly positive. And I think for a lot of people before they saw the film, they were thinking this is going to be another live action Disney telling. It, it's got a big iconic name in Cruella DeVille, who is a iconic animated villain from the Disney vault. And you have a big star, two big stars, and Emma Thompson and Emma Stone in that film. It would do well, and you had the Disney Plus aspect of Premier Access for 30 additional dollars, and you still do. But with this positive buzz, will this in, in, entice people to go back out to the movies and see these on the big screen? Because a lot of critics are, are saying these should be seen on the biggest screen possible if you feel comfortable in going to see it. These are the kind of events and, and experiences that warrant maybe considering going back out to the theaters if you feel comfortable in doing so. So will will those reviews, will the reactions entice people to do that? Because I think in years past, one of the big things, and when we see big successes in 
in, in, in financial terms for movies is even unless it's in, unless it's an IP like an MCU film or a Star Wars film or something that people are already looking forward to no matter what the reaction is going to be on the movie positive or negative one of the biggest things about movies that lead it to big success is strong word of mouth from critics and then that kind of le- leaks out to the the general audience members overall so will that in will that kind of be the case this time around where positive word of mouth kind of gets people peaked and interested in seeing these films not at home like Cruella but actually go out in theaters and see it in the first few days or the first few weeks leading up to it so I think that is a really interesting question for the Memorial Day weekend box office and even though it was already going to be an important milestone for this pandemic era that we're in for the box office right now I think it just it the the, the reactions that we we've been seeing for both of these movies right now I think just adds a little bit more weight to it in that these are two highly positively reviewed films so far there's a lot of positive word of mouth it's not just middling word of mouth for uh, Cruella and then it's Quiet Place Part 2 that's getting all the buzz both of these are getting positive buzzes both of them are treated to different demographics you have people like older people people that are into horror films that can go out and see this film like A Quiet Place Part Two on the big screen. And then Cruella is something that can appeal to the tweens and, 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 and younger audience members and families to go see that movie in theaters potentially and not pay the 30 bucks to see it on Disney Plus. Or they could do it both ways or they could do see it on Disney Plus and not see it in theaters. So I think it's going to add an interesting dynamic to see how this all kind of kickstarts. And I think Quiet Place Part Two Cruella are going to be more crucial than ever into really kind of gauging what we could be in for, not just for the summer movie season, but what we should experience in this this kind of really true kickstart into the into a post-COVID box office in a way of now having big studio films coming out because after Cuella and Quiet Place, the following weekend in the first month in the first weekend of June, we're going to be getting the hybrid release of The Conjuring Three: The Devil Made Me Do It. Where that'll be in theaters and then a hybrid and then the week after we get in the heights and then we get hitman's wife bodyguard we get luke on disney plus and then we get f9 the weekend after so th- this next weekend is really starting the steamroll effect of having that consistency once again that a lot of people were looking for at the box office and to really kind of sustaining a survivability factor in making sure that that theaters are open for business a lot longer, sustaining themselves and really starting the true recovery of the box office post COVID-19. So I think Memorial Day weekend is going to be a lot bigger and significant than a lot of people realize, even for me personally. And I just kind of started asking myself that question in like the last day or so and particularly earlier this morning when I saw the Rotten Tomato score for uh, A Quiet Place Part 2. So uh, I think this is going to be a great kickoff start hopefully. I'm really excited to see not just Cruella but also A Quiet Place Part 2. I really loved the 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 first film. I'm not a big horror person. If a lot of you who listen to me and, and you know me, you know that I'm not a big horror person. So I loved the first Quiet Place film. I'm a big Krasinski fan, big Emily 
Emily Blunt fan, and, and I'm a big fan of where this franchise could go, and I'm excited to hear all the great positive buzz that I've been seeing so far on this sequel. So what do you guys think about the Rotten Tomato score for A Quiet Place Part 2? Also about the importance that Memorial Day weekend could have on the box office with positive buzz, not just on A Quiet Place Part 2, but also on Disney's Cruella. So let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now I'm going to get into a trending trailer that came out earlier today that I didn't expect to come out today. There was really kind of no evidence that this was going to drop, but Universal decided to do it, and it is for their big musical event of the year, and especially for the fall movie season, and that is, of course, the Broadway adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen, and it is based off of the hit Broadway show that won multiple Tony Awards a few years ago, really kind of really kind of kickstarted Ben Blatt, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Ben Ben Platt into kind of the, the star stratosphere of, of a big person that people know and love. And it was really uh, kind of that big musical for the time. And I think people were kind of looking for the next Hamilton in a way. And, and I don't think Dear Evan Hudson got to that level, but it had a great catchy, catchy music and it had a great lead and it had a great story and, and it kind of swept the, the, the pop culture for a little bit, especially on the Broadway scene for about a year or so. And now Universal is deciding to capitalize on that and bring it to the big screen for everybody to see in a theatrical format. And this isn't like it's going to be with Hamilton where it's a live stage recording of the actual play. This is an actual full theatrical film where you have actual locations, you have cameras, and you have a brand new cast other than Ben Platt in the in the lineup for this ensemble. And I was looking forward to this film. It's directed by Stephen Chabowski, who if you know him, he's done a lot of these kind of coming of age films before. He did a film a few years ago called Wonder which with Jacob Tremblay, which I thought was a very underrated film to come out. And he also did another underrated, I think, coming of age high school film in The Perks of Being a Wallflower with Logan Lerman, Ezra Miller, and Emma Watson, which I really enjoy that and very much recommend it if you're looking for a high school kind of drama to watch that's kind of of this age and not The Breakfast Club or anything that John Hughes did back in the 80s and 90s. Definitely check out The Perks of Being a Wallflower. So he's perfect to take Take on this kind of material. You have the screenwriter who wrote the the actual screenplay and, and wrote the script and what well in, in the musical itself. And you, other than Ben Platt, you have a brand new cast leading this film. But it's a cast of A-listers coming to play in this film. You have Julianne Moore playing Evan Hansen's mother. You have Amy Adams. You have Caitlin Dever from Booksmart coming into this film. You also have Amy Adams, I believe I mentioned already. You also have Amanda Lestine who if you know the film The Hate You Give she was that was kind of her big breakout role and it seems like she could really really break out in this as well and continue to elevate herself in in Hollywood and in people's minds as well and so I was really looking forward to this and it's of course the music is done by the creators of the music for both La La Land and The Greatest Showman which also elevated those two movies specifically The Greatest Showman which I think if you remember that movie it's because of the iconic soundtrack and music that came with that movie and the same things I think is going to be done with this film as well and again I was looking forward to this movie and I was blown away by 
the trailer. It's over three minutes, and again, sometimes if it's over three minutes, you worry about getting a little too overexposed, a little, the, the, the studio and the creator showing a little bit too much of the movie, but I think that they did the right amount. I think this is for people that have seen the, the, the musical. They know already where the story is going for but people like myself who only have listened to the music, who love the music, but don't know the story and never saw it on Broadway. I think this is a kind of a perfect introduction to the story, to the characters, to the world, to the feeling and the emotions that we're going to be getting with this film. And Ben Platt just kind of, I think, just goes right back into what he knows in playing Evan Hansen and Julianne Moore and him have amazing chemistry together. Amy Adams looks amazing. And the one that I'm really excited to see in this film to kind of see how she follows up Booksmart is Caitlin Dever. And, and not, not, not even just Booksmart, but also the 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 show that she recently did it was with Tony Collette I'm looking it up right now just, just to get the uh, just to get the name of it because it, it was it was a great it was a great television show it was on Netflix it was a limited series and she was just absolutely amazing it was called unbelievable unbelievable with with Tony Collette Merritt Weaver and herself and she was absolutely phenomenal in that television show and she was amazing at Booksmart as well so to see her kind of follow up those two amazing projects with this kind of big blockbuster and this iconic kind of show title this is going to be I think her biggest notoriety to date and I'm excited to see what she's going to be able to do same thing with Amanda Steinberg I'm excited to see Amy Adams in this film as well and also if you know Danny Pino if you're big Law and Order SVU fans he played Olivia Benson's partner after after Christopher Maloney left the 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 show before he recently came back as Stabler so to see him in this role as kind of the the father and then the husband to Amy Adams's character is is great to see and I just think it's 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 going to hit a chord with a lot of people and I'm out of high school and this this trailer hit a chord with me and it's about be accepted and and wanting to make a name for yourself but also not being alone and 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 about mental illness and just kind of just going through high school and and noticing that you are not alone that you have friends that you can be around and people that you can be friends with and you don't have to create a lie to gain friends gain notoriety and so this just looks great I love the music, the the, the 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 song You Are Not Alone, which I've heard multiple times, just rings throughout this entire film. And so I'm really excited to see this and the just to see what the musical numbers are gonna be, I think is very interesting because they don't really showcase a lot of that. They really kind of showcase the human aspect, the, the story aspect of this film, and don't really focus on the musical numbers per se, because I think this is going to be more of a drama than a musical, even though I'm sure the musical numbers will be in there, but I'm wondering how they're naturally going to progress into the songs. It'll be very interesting to see how that all works out, but I'm really looking forward to this film, and it just, I think, adds a three for three in the trailers that we've seen for musicals this year, and we have two already, one that's coming out in June in The Heights, which could be an awards contender, and also Steven Spielberg's take on West Side Story in December, and this Dear Evan Hansen is sandwiched right in the middle of those two, and I wonder if this could be an awards player in some aspects because I think Ben Platt again brings it and I know people might not want to see him continue to get notoriety because he already got it with the Tony Awards but if he's able to translate it from stage to screen it, it they're two completely different animals even though it's
it's the same character. So he's, if he's able to translate this over so well to the to the to the screen, the big screen, I am all for it. And I think in a year where again we're looking for blockbusters, we're looking for theatrical experiences, musicals used to always be in old Hollywood. They would kind of be the go-to genre. We used to have the the 60s and and 50s would usually be the the, the westerns and we used to have the, the gang dramas in like the 60s and 80s and we would have the war the war films in around like the 80s 70s and 90s now it's the 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 comic book genre right now is kind of taking force it used to kind of be in old hollywood musicals would be the go-to genre that a lot of people would do and I think it's kind of died down, but over the years, it's picked itself back up in a way. And I think with three straight musicals that could be potential awards contenders, that could be critically praised and, and audience love films, it is really exciting. And I think it's with three high profile names and titles that people gravitate towards that I think could really get people interested in this. And, and so I think Universal did a great job in starting this marketing campaign. Amazing first trailer. I absolutely loved it. I was swept up in the emotion and the love. I was just all for it. I love the chemistry between Ben Platt and Caitlin Denver. I think it's it's there. You feel the relationship between the, the two of them. You feel the, the, the weight on Evan Hansen, who she's trying to continue this lie uh, and really kind of continue to, to really kind of showcase something that really isn't there. Uh, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. And I can't wait for this film. And I think I was, I was, I am more excited for this film now than I was even I, yesterday, really. I, I was looking forward to it, but I was looking to, to really, really just kind of showcase what this really could be. And the cast already had me excited for it, but now it's, it's one of my most anticipated films to, to, to come out now. I'm really looking forward to it during the fall movie season. And again, I talked about it about a week or two ago with Venom Let There Be Carnage. But that September 24th weekend is going to be stacked. I mean, you have, again, Venom 2. You also have The Many Saints of Newark, the, 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 the Sopranos prequel film that is coming out as well along with this. So two or three rather completely different films that cater to completely completely different demographics are going to be coming out during that weekend, which is going to be great. I'm excited to see really how they all kind of duke it out, who wins that one, even though I'm, I'm sure the comic book film will probably win that one out in the end. But also coming out the week after, as of right now, although there have been contradicting reports of whether it's going to be coming out exclusively just in theaters now or doing a hybrid release on HBO Max or in theaters, Dune, the, the following week, the first weekend of October, the first day of October, actually, is the first of October is Dune. So there, there's a lot of stuff coming out around that time for a lot of different demographics graphics, a lot of different people of different genres can really kind of come out during that time period and love all these films. And it's going to be exciting. And I think that people that the fact that people are, are looking forward to a musical is is really, really enjoyable. And, and again, I think for a lot of people, this could be a great sense for Universal in the fact also that Broadway is going to be coming out around that time period as well. So they can kind of really get hooked into that aspect of really kind of being a part of the celebration of musicals and the fact that, hey, if you want to celebrate musicals on Broadway again, but also experience this great Broadway musical that we're adapting to the big screen and Dear Evan Hansen, I think could really, really be, they, they could really capitalize on that in a way that hasn't really been done before. And I just think this looks 
looks great. I'm excited for it. And and an A and an, an A overall A, not an A plus, not an A minus, but just an A for Dear Evan Hansen's first trailer. Really enjoyed it. Great job. And I think if I were had to rank the trailers that I've seen so far this week, it's only been a few trailers, but I don't know what's going to be able to top this trailer that I saw this week. Just a lot of emotion. Really got me kind of choked up in in the powerfulness of the messages that this film and this this story is trying to portray and i'm really excited to see what they're able to do so what did you guys think about the dear evan hansen trailer i'm going to put it in a twitter poll actually did you like it did, did it increase your excitement were you already excited did you enjoy it did you not enjoy it is your excitement on the same level that it already was when you heard the cast announced for this film let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts now I'm going to be moving on to some surprising and happy news for people that are fans of John Boyega. And it was announced yesterday, according to Deadline, that John Boyega and Joe Cornish will be coming back for a sequel in the cult classic film from 2011, Attack the Block. And for a lot of people, a lot of people, maybe you listeners, maybe you know Attack the Block, maybe you don't, but it was a, a film, an indie film that came out during the film festival season in 2011. 2011 and it's really kind of about these these kids set in the UK that are looking to defend their neighborhood from aliens that are trying to invade it and it, it was this really kind of cool not not gritty or grounded but just this really kind of cool indie indie film that came out that the, for a lot of people the the big reason that you remember that film if you follow John Boyega's career was it was the one that really kind of started his career for the most part and was the reason he got the role for Finn in the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. So I think for for Boyega, I'm really excited to see him come back. You have the director for the first film coming back in this film, and I'm really excited for it because I love Attack the Block, and I know for a lot of people, they've been clamoring for a sequel to this film. And I think for the fact that that Boyega's a big star right now, and the fact that he wants to kind of go back to his roots and, and, and what may got him to where he is today is absolutely amazing, because you don't really see that from a lot of people. Uh, I think nowadays, especially, you don't really see that, people kind of going back to the roots in that kind of way and looking forward to making a, a, a sequel to a film that came out years and years ago. So the fact that they're doing this, they're excited about it, they're active in it, is, is great to really kind of see. And the big question that comes with this, of course, is the fact that comes with any film that has sequels that come out years later after the film has already been released is will will this film be a success in some kind of a way? Will the fans come out and see this in theaters? Can Boyega's name, even though I just said he's a star, can his name alone carry this film and maybe gain new fans to watch these movies? We'll see what happens, but I definitely have faith in Boyega. I have faith in Joe Cornish, and I think for the fans alone, it, this is just a great success in, 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 in wanting to see this film. The Boyega heard them, Cornish heard them, the studios heard them, and they're they're making this thing and I'm really excited about it. I think it definitely lended itself to be made for a sequel or so. So we'll see where it goes and I'm really excited for for everyone involved with this, including the fans that love this movie. So 
more attack to block, I'm fine with it, and we'll see where this goes. What do you guys think about a sequel to attack the block happening? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about today has to do with kind of following up the new, the major news that came out yesterday when it was announced that Warner Media and Discovery will be kind of merging together, and AT&T will be selling off all the all the properties of Warner Media in the coming days and or in the coming year to come really when it's approved in mid 2022 and a few hours after that it was reported by deadline variety got into it that amazon prime is potentially in talks to acquire mgm studios and this comes from us over at variety and this is what they had to say about the news News of Amazon's talks with MGM began to swirl this weekend. The information reported Monday that Amazon was in talks about a potential deal for MGM, which could run between $7 billion and $10 billion. Industry sources said MGM reps have been whispering to prospective buyers for months about a price tag of $9 billion, while others see it as worth about $5 billion. And that comes from us over at Variety. And this is really kind of no surprise in the fact that at the end of 2020, MGM was getting ready to sell itself. It's been in the market to sell to some company for years now, and it's just never kind of really come to fruition. But over the last year or so, especially during the pandemic, a lot of streamers have been kind of clamoring to get their hands on the MGM properties. Of course, there was the big story that came out around the fall time with No Time to Die when Apple was trying to get its hands on the film, and but it, it never really kind of came to fruition because the, the, the MGM Studios was asking for for an obscene amount of money, which again, they, they they think No Time to Die, which is the final outing of Daniel Craig as 007, is a prospective billion dollar hit when everything's open at 100% capacity and people want to go back to the theaters. They think it, it is going to be one of the highest grossing films of whatever year it decides to come out in. Hopefully it comes out in 2021 now. It has a date of October 8th, but it was a lot of money that MGM wanted and also with Eon, which really kind of holds the rights to the Bond franchise with the Broccoli family, it was just a lot of, of webs that would have been had to be untangled and entangled back up again with advertisers for the film. It, it was just really too complicated and so that kind of fell through and now it seems like Amazon really kind of wants to take a, a stake at acquiring the rights to not just that film but to every single thing that is in the library of MGM, which is a very prestigious studio that has a lot of stuff that I think could be used in a prospective streaming service. And this is, again, just another example of the arms race that is continuing to happen in the streaming wars. And it's just the fact that a lot of these companies are looking to take on Netflix. And it again, I think it praises Netflix in the fact that they still have so much content, whether it's original or library content of theirs that they have, that a lot of studios and companies just can't take them on by themselves. They need additional support and arms and content to compete with the likes of a Netflix or even now with what Disney Plus did. But Disney Plus is really one of the first ones to do it when they acquired the assets from Fox. So it really is about really trying to taking over Netflix or, or getting to the level of Netflix and 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 the number of subscribers they have and, and the mountain of money and cash that is viable in the streaming mountain right now. So 
I think this is just another case of it. And when when you look at MGM, it's not just the Bond franchise. You have the Hobbit franchise. You have the Rocky slash now Creed franchise, which they're making a third one right now with Michael B. Jordan. You have the RoboCop franchise, the Pink Panther franchise, which isn't just a one and done thing. That's been done over the years and it's continuing to be developed into multiple films. You have, of course, have films like Silence of the Lambs, Magnificent Seven, Four Weddings and the Funeral, and, and, the, and the, the TV content on there, the Stargate franchise. You have Vikings, Fargo, Handmaid's Tale is a part of MGM, Get Shorty, Teen Wolf, Survivor, The Voice, Shark Chank, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I could go on and on, but that's just some of the stuff that they have. And it's scripted, it's unscripted, it's, it's films, it's everything. And so I think Amazon sees that as, okay, we make great stuff on our own, but we want to make sure that we have all this other stuff in our arsenal as well. And you wonder, would Eon want to make a Bond film with Amazon Prime if they can't get an exclusive theatrical debut first before going to streaming? And the same thing with a lot of these other films, such as Creed or what Ridley Scott's doing with, with House of Gucci right now. And that's one of the bigger, bigger films that'll be debuting with the slate of MGM with Lady Gaga and Adam Driver at the helm of that one on screen. So I, I found this to be very interesting, and I don't know if if MGM will go to Amazon or if they'll go to another streaming service or who knows what they're going to do, but they are going to sell, but it's just a matter of who are they going to sell to and what is that price going to be as, again, according to industry insiders, they don't even think MGM is worth $9 billion or $10 billion. They think it's more on the lesser side, which is still a lot of money when you tack into a billions on there, but $5 billion, they, they see it more on the lower end of the billion side than the higher end. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And, and, and I think, again, this is just the latest example of an arms race that is happening. And it's this isn't going to die anytime soon. This is just going to continue to happen. And we'll see where the next, what the next merger, the next acquire, acquirement is in the, the, the race that is known as the streaming war. So what do you guys think about this news of Amazon Prime potentially buying the property and the rights to a lot of the library involved in MGM? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And that is going to be it for the movie news portion of the Sam Bissell podcast. And the final thing that I do want to talk about overall on the podcast today is celebrating the 20th anniversary of the absolute classic animated film, A Trailblazer in its own right, the one and only Shrek, which came out on this exact date 20 years ago on May 18th, 2001. And when I say trailblazing film, this really is one of the most iconic animated films of all time. It, 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 it really kind of broke barriers for a lot of animation when it came to additional studios because with Shrek, it really, at the time when it came out in 2001, really it was, Disney was really the only studio that was in the arms race of animation. You had other studios that were involved, but they weren't on the prestigious level that Disney animation was kind of on, especially during the 90s with Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and Lion King, Aladdin, and all those films. But also, when Pixar came into the frame as well, where you had films like Toy Story and Toy Story 2 coming out, it wasn't on that same level. And then Shrek came out from DreamWorks Animation Studios, and that completely changed the game where it, it really showcased that it's not just Disney and Pixar that are in the game. There are other 
animators or other studios that can create prestigious, amazing animation content. And Shrek was really the first one to do that on the scale of a Pixar. And it, it featured not just gorgeous animation, but also had an absolutely amazing plot and story where it really kind of uh, took the, the fairy tale genre of, of princesses and princes and knights and dragons and really kind of turned it on its head where you don't have the Prince Charming coming to save the 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 girl in the tower. It's this it's this ugly looking ogre who doesn't have suave looking hair and the looks or anything like that. And he saves the princess and falls in love and completely rewrites the story of how we know typical fairy tales to end, especially the tale of Prince Charming and 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 the princess in the tower. So that was really kind of a, a different take on the genre. And then you had all these great fairy tale characters that came into play like Pinocchio and and the werewolf who dressed up as grandma and you had the fairies and, and, and all these different kinds of things that just worked so incredibly well. And a big part of that is because of the characters that were developed and you, you had great script writing with those characters that you fell in love with, but you fell in love with the, the voice characters that were doing those, those actual beings and it was it is featured a, a stacked cast in animation it, it, it had Mike Myers when he was at really kind of the peak of his game playing Shrek Eddie Murphy the same thing kind of in his peak well he already he had his peak obviously with Beverly Hills Cop he was a great 90s action star as well but he was kind of still on one of the biggest stars in entertainment when he played Donkey and Shrek you also has Cameron Diaz playing Fiona and John Lithgow playing Lord Farquaad and this film really kind of kick-started a brand new franchise not just for DreamWorks animation but for itself where it spanned a boatload of sequels a boatload of it had its own Broadway musical it had a bunch of shorts and specials but also it put DreamWorks Animation Studio, like I said before, on the map and helped kind of create this new powerhouse in animation that could kind of compete with Pixar on some kind of a kind of a level. And, and it spun off some absolutely amazing franchises throughout the years, such as that the the How to Train Your Dragon franchise, just to name kind of one of them. It had films such as like Flushed Away and, and just a whole bunch of great films that I think really came out of that of DreamWorks at the time. You also had well, Ice Age was was from was from Fox, but it really kind of spun off these additional animated films that were coming out that were competing with Pixar, like in Ice Age, which spun off a new franchise as well that was beloved by so many people, and it just kind of made new competitors in that field of animation that we hadn't seen before. And also, Shrek was the first film to win the Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards. We're so used to Disney Animation Studio or Pixar winning these awards. You would think that a Pixar Disney animated film won the award first, but it was a DreamWorks Animation Studios film that won the the first Best Animated Feature award at the Academy Awards, and it deserved it. It really was an outstanding film. And also, especially with the first film, what made it such an outstanding flick also was the soundtrack. And it it wasn't a, a, a... per se original soundtrack that came with it, but you had all these great songs that really kind of just added this new 
twist and take on this film. And it was very iconic. I remember as a young kid when CDs were still around and you would play them in, in the in your, your radio in a car. When I was a kid, my mom would, would always kind of take wherever we had to go, run errands or whatever, take me to school. She would always pop in the Shrek soundtrack. And I just remember always loving all the songs that were on there. And there's songs that were written years ago and, and, and were done in like the 90s and, and even before then. But they became so much more popular because of Shrek. And also, the, the, the biggest song that still kind of trailblazes to this day is Rockstar from Smash Mouth. That is a song that plays at the beginning of the film. And to this day, it still has a lot of a lot of fans that love that, love that song. And Smash Mouth was recognized for Shrek. So it, it was just a lot of great talent that was recognized. Uh, a new studio was born from Shrek. And, and really kind of trailblazed some great stuff to come in and it spun off a bunch of awful kind of spoofs of Shrek in a way in, in animation and but I think it just showcases the influence that that film had and it stands as, as really truly one of the best animated films of all time in my opinion and also spun off a, an amazing sequel and the third and fourth and fifth Shrek films aren't that good but the second film in Shrek truly is also one of the great sequels I don't know of all time but it truly is it could be argued with that the Shrek 2 is a superior film than the first Shrek film and also was the first sequel to ever win Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards as well. So the Shrek franchise was a trailblazer, especially those first two films that really kind of took the fairy tale aspect that the, the traditional story of fairy tales and really kind of turned it on its head and created something new and different and fun and i think it was very enjoyable i know they've been trying to reboot the shrek franchise for a long time but again it's just the fact that i think you let you just let good things die away and you let them just be remembered for what they were and the shrek franchise especially those first few films were just absolute big smashes they were really beloved and i just think that they should be remembered for what they did and the and the history they made and really kind of, I think, breaking through for animation and really kind of showcasing that. Again, Pixar was creating great stuff, but it was also the fact that there's more competition to be had in animation. It's not just one studio that has it all for themselves and that other studios can create great content in animation. And Shrek was really the first one to really kind of prove that next to Pixar as well. So Shrek 20 years old, I can't believe it. It's, it's, a, it's a great film that still holds up to this very day. It has a lot of memorable quotes, memorable scenes. It's just it's just a great, 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 great film and I highly recommend it. It's, it's one of the things that I know when I have kids, whenever that is in the future, long future from now, it's definitely one of the films I'm going to be showing my kids when they're younger. It is it is very family-friendly, child-friendly, and it was one of the things that I first grew up with, and I know it's going to be one of the first things that I want my kids to grow up with, and definitely one of the first things that kids should be introduced to from the world of movies and cinema in general, and especially in animation. So, Definitely check it out when you have a chance if you haven't already. Shrek, 20 years old, came out on this date in 2001. Time flies when you're having fun. And again, I would love if we got more Shrek and it was done right, great. But again, if you get a new Shrek going, it's not going to, I think, be able to hold up personally because not just of the animation and what we know from the first few films, but the cast, again, the voice cast 
phenomenal. Are you going to get Mike Myers to come back? I don't know if, if you're going to get Cameron Diaz, who's in retirement right now. Eddie Murphy, I don't know if you're going to get him back. He's kind of having a, a little bit of a resurgence right now of, of kind of getting a, not a comeback, but he's back on the scene once again. John Lithgow, maybe you could get, oh, well, you don't need Lord Farquaad back, but those three specifically of Cameron Diaz, Eddie Murphy, Mike Myers, would you be able to get them back? Because I don't think you're going to have anybody else voicing those characters on the big screen with those three because they were the, the three main pillars of that franchise. And of course, you were introduced to Antonio Banderas with Puzzle Boots. He was a great addition in the, in, the, in the in the sequel to Shrek. So a lot of great additions, a lot of great things. Again, Shrek, 20 years old, May 18th, 2001, always a classic and will always be remembered. So what do you guys think about Shrek? Have you seen Shrek? What do you think of Shrek? Is Shrek truly the trailblazer that I just made it out to be in that little soliloquy I just did? So let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Vassell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return on investment and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services also check out the daily grind a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. Again, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. And you can also find me on my YouTube channel as well at the Sam Bissell Podcast. So, everyone, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>